You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Inside Purple and Gold. Welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. I'm Dane Mizutani. That's Tom Stryer. We're recording late Sunday night. Um, I'm not sure if anyone's going to listen to this Sunday night. I'm not sure if anyone's going to listen to this Monday morning um, because I'm not sure any Vikings fan really wants to kind of remember that game. Uh, 31-34 lost the New York Giants. Tom, the season's over. Um, and it, it just happened so, so abruptly. Um, yeah. it, it doesn't feel like this crazy, chaotic, you know, memorable, yeah. possible, like whatever word you want to use, season um, should already be done. Yeah, I think you're right. I remember I was trying to formulate that question for O'Connell in a press conference. And I've listened to a lot of his like post-game speeches. And of course, they're, they're cut and they're censored and stuff. Um, but, you know, he kept ref- his refrains after wins, especially close wins, is, you know, we're going to keep playing until they tell us we have to stop, right? And you got the impression that these guys became really close. I know everything kind of is like that. But I think there are years where there's factions in the locker room, the older veterans, the younger players, the guys with longer contracts and the guys on their way out. But um, you got the impression they just kind of wanted to keep this going. And my assumption going into this game, so the Vikings were three-point favorites. And if you looked at any other media, it sounded like they were like 10-point underdogs. And I kind of talked it up the East Coast bias that in a close game where each each team could win, right, you look at like a three-point spread basically means, you know, like the home team's just favored. Um, I was like, well, of course, all these guys on TV who are from New York think the Giants are going to win. Um, but I think uh, – when you say abrupt, and I guess the way I phrase it to him is I was like, hey, you kept saying you guys are going to keep playing until you can anymore. Did it feel abrupt? He straight up said yes. Like he was just like – he went immediately to the the fourth down play where Cousins checked on essentially. He didn't have options deep, and he goes to Hawkinson, who's the best receiver in this game. And it's just like it's over. And um, to be honest, this is – outside of the Buffalo game, the first result that really surprised me, right? The Buffalo was a miracle win. They were actually underdogs in that game. This is the first game I think Vegas got wrong favoriting the Vikings. And so I just like, I remember sitting there and be like, well, that's how it ends. A check down to TJ Hawkinson. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're like, well, what the hell? Um, but yeah, weird way for this season that I thought it was going to end in San Francisco, to be honest. So I guess caught me by surprise a little bit. 
Yeah, I'm with you there for sure, Tom. I think everyone kind of felt like, at least internally in this market, like fans, even some media members to a degree, like, why is everyone talking about the Giants? Like, this team has won yeah. three games since, like, October. Uh, they were right, I guess. Like, you know, like the Vikings, it's something you've kind of said a lot this year on, on the pod. Like they're just tempting fate. They're doing it over and over yeah. and over again. And eventually like the luck's going to run out. Like it felt like almost every time you thought the luck was going to run out to this point in the season, the Vikings would do some just insane miraculous thing yeah. that like would make everyone believe like, okay, well maybe their luck will never run out. But uh, you know, when you look at this game and you kind of break it down, you know, just kind of what happened after the Vikings marched right down the field, um, went up 7-0, U.S. Bank Stadium's rocking. Uh, everything from that point forward, um, it, they were just chasing the game. And, yes, and yep. it's it's proof that, like, against good teams, and, and I'm not so sure the Giants are, like, even that good of a team. No. Yeah. But you can't just continuously chase the game. You can't just continuously say, you know, we're so battle-tested in these one-score games, we're going to come out on top. Um, yeah. I look, I believe that the Vikings felt like they were going to come out on top. I believed the Vikings were going to come out on top mm-hmm. even until that final possession, because they've done that time and time and time and time again this season. Um, and, and to your point, Tom, like when Kirk cousins throws short of the sticks on fourth down, when Daniel Jones takes over knees out the clock. And when the Vikings walk off the field, it like kind of felt like time slowed down. It didn't even yeah. feel like real life. It was like, wow like that's that's it that's over um and, and it was kind of just a stunning way um to kind of watch this season end yeah i think to peel back the curtain here we're gonna go behind the scenes uh i saw you getting on the elevator uh to the game and you actually told me that the what was it the dolphins that tied up the game with the bills or whatever and if, i thought you were yeah. joking i thought it was a bit and we got talking to the elevator lady and she's like what are you thinking and i was like oh, i think the vikings are gonna win and <laughs> She said something along the lines of, do you think the spread's right? And I was like, yeah. And that gave away my my assumption, right? I was kind of like, you know, Vegas is usually right about this team. There's a lot of predictable nature. But the thing is, like, take away the kicking, because actually Greg Joseph did his job. A lot of the demons that haunted the Vikings just haunted them in this game, right? You think about, like, they've done well on first drives. They weren't perfect. But this actually felt almost like the first drive against the Bears or whatever, you know, where they just dismantled them. And, in fact, like, it almost felt, you know, incongruent when – I think just Justin Jefferson was called sort of the line or whatever, sort of the uh, end zone. But you're like almost mm-hmm. everything else. It almost felt a little too easy. It got rocking. They did the right thing. We had talked about how if you score on that opening drive and get a lead, you make a play left-handed. But then we saw the lull, right? If anything, it was a shock that there was a third quarter touchdown, right? By the Vikings and stuff. And like this team kind of played a little bit on, on a script in a season that was so, there were so many like unpredictable things. Right. And I say this, like, the Giants are so well coached. You know what I mean? Like, like Dayball was just like, hey, Daniel Jones is running for a whole bunch of yards, and so is Barkley. Let's just run running play, plays for Daniel Jones. I'm sure at one point he's like, don't throw an interception, just run. No one's gonna tackle you. You know, and like he just stuck to what's work, what works, which I which every coach should do. It's it's flabbergasting how many coaches figure out something that works and go go away from it. And then you went Martindale, the the defensive coordinator, known for blitzing. Post game, it sounds like these guys said, "Hey, he just dedicated more guys to Justin Jefferson." Like, 
that shouldn't be brilliant, right? But in some ways, like in the NFL, that is, right? So it's like, yeah, just throw a whole bunch of secondary guys in the secondary against Justin Jefferson, make them beat with you with the other guys. Don't like throw the cluster. I didn't think the Giants were really well coached. I don't think they're talented enough really to go anywhere. That's probably why this is more unfortunate. Is like the, the Vikings probably are a more talented team. But a lot of this, right, we can kind of predict. Well coached Giants team. Some capitalize on some of the follies that the Vikings have had all year. No, you're absolutely right, Tom. Like, uh, it, it is baffling that sometimes coaches find things that work and then they don't just continuously do it. And your, your point about Daniel Jones, spot on. I think there was a stretch early in the game where, like, he ran like three or four plays in a row and it just kept working. And so they just kept yeah. doing it. Yeah. Um, same with same with stopping Justin Jefferson. You know, just throw more bodies at him. Makes sense. You'll, yeah. You know, it'll yeah. be harder for him to make an impact. Um. Which is why, and you know, we're kind of bouncing all over the place. Like, which is why the, the, there was a play call early in the game on a Vikings from the Vikings' perspective that yeah, like yeah. baffled me. Yeah. Um, because if we talk about you find something that works and then you just continuously do it, um, even though the 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 Giants were throwing a lot of pressure at Justin Jefferson, the mm-hmm. quick pass, the quick game was working early. Um, yeah. it, you know, it wasn't explosive, but it was just Jefferson gaining seven yards, five yards, eight yards. It was working. You went right down the field, 12 play drive to open the game. Giants. We'll talk about the defense. I mean, obviously yeah, we'll yeah, talk yeah. about the defense in this yeah. podcast, um, but, but the Giants come right back, score seven, seven. Um, the Vikings, they go three and out, but their third and one play rather than just run up the middle with Alvin cook, which I understand why you might not want to do that because <laughs> running up the middle hasn't been very successful yeah. or, you know, running like an outside zone scheme, you know, just really living and dying with what has gotten you to this point, throwing a quick pass to Justin Jefferson, looking for TJ Hawkinson, who you mentioned was yeah. the best player on the field for the Vikings today. Kevin O'Connell decided to draw up this trick play where he had Justin Jefferson go in motion, take a pitch behind Kirk cousins, run to the right side of the field and then just throw the ball wildly back to the left side of the field. And I get it. Like if that play works, if, if you throw into that vacated space and Kirk cousins has nothing but green grass in front of him, everyone's like, Oh my God, what a genius call. Mm -hmm. But it just seems like too much risk to do in that situation, especially when to your earlier point about finding things that work and sticking with them, like you had in, in, in a recipe for success with moving the ball. Throw the ball to Justin Jefferson short yeah. of the line of scrimmage. Throw the ball to TJ Hawkinson. You don't need to have Justin Jefferson, your best receiver, uh, throw the ball to Kirk Cousins, who, as good as he's been this year, is, is not exactly the pinnacle of athleticism in, in, in open space. Yeah, no, I actually think here's what happened on that play was I initially was like, that's exciting. Like, I love it when Justin Jefferson throws the ball. I actually love trick plays. Like, it's just from an entertainment standpoint. And I was talking to Henry Lake next to me, and he goes, dude, that's the dumbest play I've ever seen run in that situation. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, dude, my, like, excitement entertainment factor overrode by, like, is this a logical play factor, you know, in my brain? And I was like, yeah, that actually didn't make a lot of sense. I actually think it's more the bigger fault that you're throwing to Cousins. You mentioned, like, I mean, he has some some low-key athleticism as in, like, well, he doesn't really move in the pocket well. He actually, like, on a scramble can get up to a high speed. Um, but it just, A, like, he's not known for catching the ball. He's a quarterback. B, as you mentioned, like, he's not as dynamic as, as like, Hawkinson or Cook or whatever in the open field. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, 
I actually like that the Vikings had the discipline on the first drive where you have the disappointment that, that um, you know, Jefferson doesn't get the touchdown, right? And you go, yeah, just quarterback sneak it. Like, he's the guy closest to the goal line, right? And I think in some ways he did this against Detroit too, like in Detroit where I was like, I know you could justify every kind of like aggressive play he made, but I was like, man, he feels like you're just playing like the underdog too much. Like yeah. you're just overthinking and being too cute. This is another demon that came back to get him. Like, hey, just run it up the middle with Crook. And if he doesn't get it, quarterback sneak. You know what I mean? Like, like that's how I totally. think you have to play a playoff game. And, um, you know, to be fair, I think O'Connell has a lot of merits. We know it obviously in the terms of the culture and how he treats his players. But like, I actually think he he got a little better as a play caller and stuff is, is this is a learn, right? Sometimes it's just keep it simple. And, and and that's a fault. And the thing is, you go back to chasing the, the game, it started there. And, and so um, just an unfortunate kind of decision there. And again, a well-coached team capitalized on that. And that's why the Giants kind of put the Vikings in the spot they did. Yeah, it, it just feels so weird talking to you now, like uh, like with the finality of like, yeah, you know, like the playoffs are going to keep going, and now we're going to go down to recording like twice a week because we're not yeah. we have nothing to cover now. Um, but we'll you know we'll kind of break down more of like you know the touch points in this game when when we come back. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, give us a follow. Um, we're following us, if you've been following us all season, we really appreciate it. Um, if you're following us, we will be have we'll drop we'll be dropping off season content here and there. Uh, might take a little break with the Vikings have nothing to play for now, but yeah. there will be things that we talk about. So if you know you are sad that the season's over, if you're sad you have to wait until May or you know April for the draft, May for OTAs, mm-hmm. July for training camp, uh, we'll come at you a couple times a week and, and and try and at least help you get through this off season if you're if you're following along. So. Follow us inside Purple and Gold anywhere you get your podcasts. All right, the plug's over. Tom, I want to talk about the last play of the, of the season, effectively. Yeah. Like the 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 kneel downs, I guess those count as plays. Like Daniel Jones takes three <laughs> knees. Uh, Richie James does like a sick backflip. That was and, amazing. Know, and, like just effortless. If I tried to do that, I would break my neck and die. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the last play of the Viking season was Kirk Cousins on fourth and eight throwing a four-yard pass to TJ Hawkinson. And look, I get it. I, I get it. Kirk Cousins thought he was going to get sacked. And yeah. he had progressed off of Justin Jefferson at that point. He had gotten to, to his in his progression to TJ Hawkinson when he felt like he was about to get sacked. Mm-hmm. So rather than take a sack, he said, I will throw this ball. I'll keep it alive. I'll give it to TJ Hawkinson, regardless of the fact that he's not at at or past the first down marker and i'll just hope he breaks a tackle well he threw it too late uh there was a defender draped all over tj hawkinson and it goes for a four-yard gain the vikings turn the ball over daniel jones kneels kneels out the clock um the season ends i have an issue with not just like i get it after we talked about we asked her cousins about this after the game. He said he didn't feel comfortable with, you know, the coverage he was seeing yep. um, with Justin Jefferson. He didn't feel comfortable kind of throwing the ball up there at, at that moment in time, you know, w- with all the chips on the table. So he continued to progress and this progression led him to, uh, you know, a check down. Yep. My issue is that at fourth and eight, you, you can't progress to the route that doesn't get you past the first down marker. You just can't do it. And it, it reminds me of this anecdote early in training camp, when Kirk Cousins said, I had this discussion with Kevin O'Connell with, with Wes Phillips during practice. Mm-hmm. And this was way back in July. It was like, 
I, I was going through my progression. I said no to this route, no to this route, no to this route. And then I finally said yes to the check down. And after Kirk Cousins did that back in training camp, Kevin O'Connell, Wes Phillips pulled him aside and said, don't say no to that route. Like we want you to yeah. throw that route. We don't want you to get to your, your last progression. And that felt like just such a, like a full circle moment, like for the mm-hmm. worst, like yeah, he talks about this in training camp about not progressing to the check down because he wants to get, you know, get a chance for explosive plays on the field. Well, when the season is on the line, he progresses to the check down when you have Justin Jefferson and I get it. Like maybe that's a low percentage throw. Maybe it's like a, he has a 25% catch probability, whatever those advanced metric stats are. But like, it was like a 0.5% catch probability against Buffalo. When, when Justin Jefferson yes. just reached yes. back from into the heavens and pulled down that, that ball with one hand. Mm-hmm. So my issue is not that Kirk cousins, you know, like I get it. You'd, you'd rather throw the ball to Hawkinson than, than take a sack. Like he's right there but don't let yourself progress off Jefferson there. And if you do, do not let yourself progress off of the other routes that lead you to your final progression, which is a route that's not past the first down sticks. So that, that just as good as Kirk cousins was in this game. And he was very, very good mm-hmm. uh, as good as he was all season. And he was really, really good. His best season. I think he's had in, in the league. Mm-hmm. He just reminds you kind of at, at certain times that like there are, robotic things ingrained to him and, and and maybe with more time with Kevin O'Connell that that will go away or he'll be able to kind of find ways out of that. Um, but at the most important play of the season, Kirk Cousins checked down and the punchline writes itself. I think there's multiple things. I think first of all, we can't overlook the aesthetic and how this ties back to training camp. As you said, there were times where I think Cousins was overzealous throwing downfield. I think the most egregious one was in Philadelphia. The irony in that game is against the blitz. You should have gone to the hot route, functionally a like designed check down, which is very funny. Right. And it's like, but mm-hmm. to be fair, maybe that game in some ways set the tone for something like Buffalo, where he just throws it up on what was that fourth and 19 or whatever. And, yep. and yep. Jefferson makes a miracle play. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, the aesthetics are terrible. The fact that this is kind of the lasting memory, right, of Cousins, it sucks, but that just kind of is because it's the last play. You know, I get it, I guess, from this standpoint. Like, if they're going to take away Jefferson, Hawkinson did finish with 10 receptions, 129 yards. He also did set a franchise record for tight end receptions, I think, in the Giants game in the mm-hmm. regular mm-hmm. season. Um, you know, Thielen, three big catches, 50 yards. Justin Jefferson, seven receptions, 47. That's the containment. Osborne only had 20. Who knows if if Cousins, he said actually Cousins said the third Nate play, the one immediately before that is the one that sticks with him because he had single coverage and the defender, the D-back, um, broke the ball up to Osborne. He feels like if he let him a little bit more, maybe Osborne, you know, yeah. catches that and has more yards. But um, big job by Herb Smith, which is like, holy, yeah, like another demon that came back in this game. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think you, you're right in this sense, like, I think Arif asked about this, Arif Hassan, who, um, who like, you know, analytics guy, he's like, you know, functionally, like an interception isn't that bad of an outcome in that situation. I know how it feels right. If you're at the game or watching it, but like, it's not worse than a fourth down. It's, it's a turnover, right? Turnover on downs or turnover by interception. And it's like, again, I'd have to look back, you know, you can look at an all 22 and see what cousins was seeing or whatever. But like, if you think there's any chance, Justin Jeffrey, right. It's like, Oh, let him go make something happen. Right. Um, And so I'm with you on that. And I think cousins has come a long way in that regard. I think I do like 
it's really interesting. Um, someone asked him about like what he'll be thinking about tonight. And he's like, I'm just going to go through the plays in my mind. You know, he is this perfectionist. He's one of those guys who like stuff sticks with him. And I think he learns from it. Right. Um, but like one thing he's going to have to look at is like, how does he go further away from the player who checks down? Right. Even though if that's, that's like technically the right thing to do and more towards the player who throws, you know, kind of a 50, 50 ball or even worse at one of his best players. So, um, it's unfortunate it comes down to that. I mean, obviously you can look at like the play before and be like, they wouldn't have been in that situation or whatever. Um, but I'm with you. Like in that situation, like if there's any chance with Thielen or even really one of his other receivers, mm-hmm. I think you're better off going down with an interception there, you know, and it's just because they're both functionally turnovers. Um, and who knows? I mean, again, we'd be saying something different if Hawkinson – breaks that tackle. But I think most people are smart enough too to be like, wow, Hawkinson was almost tackled short, you know what I mean? Or whatever. So I don't mm-hmm. know. Very weird that that is the last play. And it just, it, it, that's almost unfair given like how much progress Cousins has made this year. For sure. And, and that's, I guess what kind of bugs me, like, is that like, it's going to just kind of be tunnel visioned into like, this is who he is. Yeah. He hasn't changed at all. And he really has. And, and, and I've been one of Kirk Cousins' biggest critics, like through his entire tenure with yeah. the Vikings. And and it does feel like he's he's taken strides this year. And it does feel like he's the quarterback that could help them, you know, maybe not win the Super Bowl, but get over the hump per se. Um, he had he did a lot of good stuff this year. And in, in in a year where the rest of the league has kind of proven that quarterback play is not guaranteed, like solid quarterback play is not a guarantee. Um, so I, I don't think Kirk Cousins is the problem here. Um, I, I, it is unfortunate that the season, the season as a whole ends with that play, um, but that his season also ends with that play because because it was he was better than 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 that play and that decision in that moment. He is going to be the guy immediately, right? I mean, like O'Connell believes in him. He's worked with him before. He, he yep. sets, to be fair, at the very least, even if you're totally out on Kirk, he sets a floor, right? And, like, you need that because you have Jefferson and you need co- – listen, ask Randy Moss about competent quarterback play, right? So, like, yes. you need to have yes. that. Um, having said that, Cousins in some way benefited from being in the NFC this year. It's so funny if you look at the quarterbacks who are in the NFC playoffs, right, at the beginning of, you know, beginning of the playoffs – and the ones mm-hmm. that are in the AFC, especially because Jacksonville qualified. Um, so you have Lawrence, like, I don't think we can get away from the fact that like the quarterback is such a monumentally important uh, player and that the AFC is so much better because there's so much talent at the quarterback position over in that side. Um, having said that, like part of me from my standpoint, and I understand like a fan who is at the game or, or watching intently on TV may not feel the same way, but from my standpoint, this does not change how I think of Cousins. I think he is the incumbent. I think it's really important to have an incumbent for a player to take their spot rather than basically an open seat where it's whoever kind of comes out of camp or whatever. You know what I mean? So I think he's still that. I still believe like he is valuable to the franchise. No, he should be. He gets paid a lot of money, but like he's valuable to the franchise because of how he has taken care of the ball, how he goes through his reads, how he prepares, um, and because he does enough to enable Justin Jefferson. Um, having said that, like what they're going to look for in the quarterback, you know, in the draft is you don't want the Heineke type or the YOLO, like I don't know what he's doing half the time, right? But like mm-hmm. you want someone with a little moxie, right? Someone who like in this situation, you know, in um, in a 
fourth and eight and the season's over, they find a way to wire it into Jefferson to make that guy make a play, right? And this this is just – I don't even know if this is the chief fault of Cousins, to be honest. It is just a fault that, unfortunately, the season ends on. Um, yeah. And it's something that's just going to kind of stick in our mind. So the Cousins debate won't last forever. I think what I'd tell anyone is he is the incumbent. It's good to have an incumbent who someone has to displace. I mean, said that if I'm Quasi, I'm throwing darts, right? I'm, I'm taking yeah. gambles on guys who I think might eventually surpass Cousins as he, you know, progresses into his 30s. For sure. Some other standouts on offense and, and we'll, we're going to talk about the defense. If you're listening in like mm-hmm. the 25th minute of this podcast, like we're going to talk about the defense. Don't worry. Um, but Tom's mentioned a couple of times, TJ Hawkinson had 10 catches for 129. Yeah. Adam Thielen had three catches for 50. JJ finishes with seven catches for 47. Um, that's about it. You know, Kirk Cousins yeah. was, was 20, 31 of 39 for 273 and, and, and a pair of touchdowns. He had a, had a QB sneak too. It, yeah. a reception for a loss of two yards. Um, <laughs> the, the, the things that stuck with me most post game, um, just kind of seeing how sad he was though. Like Kirk cousins, like yeah. it, it felt like we talked about like him taking steps this year and like steps on the field. And it, it felt like he took steps as like a, like someone who kind of lets you in to see like how, what he's actually. Yeah. Doing. I, I remember his first year in Minnesota. Um, Vikings missed the playoffs. Kirk Cousins kind of just plays average to above average all season. And in in his post-game press conference at the end of that season, it was just, he talked about year zero and, and you you know, how like, you know, they, it was just very pragmatic and it felt like robotic and it, you know, it was almost as if like he talked about the loss and the end of the season in in, in a way that was just so like analytical Whereas yeah. this felt like emotional, like he was upset. He said, mm-hmm. this is the heart. This is the, the, the toughest loss of my career to this point. Uh, and in all of that, like, I feel like stems from the fact that this was his team and, mm-hmm. and, and Kevin O'Connell gave him kind of the license. Like, this is your team. This is your team, Kirk. And, and from there, you know, like the Vikings won 13 games. They were 11 and 0 in one score games during the season. Obviously, 0 and 1 in one score games in the playoffs. <laughs> but it felt like all of these things kind of added up um, to Kirk Cousins taking steps, like both on and off the field, on the field as a player, off the field as a leader. Um, and I think you kind of saw that in, for, in 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 very short, you know, snippets because he got back to like, you know, his his usual like, you know this is going to stick with me. I'm going to think about this, you know, this play and that play and be a perfectionist. But like yeah. for a few seconds there, he let you all the way in and you could see how he felt. Yeah. I think it's interesting how all these guys process it. I think to start with cousins, I thought the success O'Connell would have with him if he did was that he'd basically just program him. Right. He'd be if then, right. If you see this, then do this, if this, mm-hmm. and actually it was, it was very different. And I ended up writing about this basically being like, Hey, I was wrong. Um, it was more like, he was the voice in cousin's head, literally. Right. It was, it was like, he will talk to him until you can, the radio goes off at 15 seconds. Right. But he'll talk him mm-hmm. through like this, this, you know, do, you know, and then he'll go to the line cousins will diagnose it and make a plan. I think this is why he was successful and more willing to take risks aside from the mm-hmm. fact too, he knew Zimmer Zimmer was telling him take risks. I know that wasn't true. Zimmer's a defensive coach. He would have been mad that he put the defense in a bad spot, right? So it's a bit the contrast between O'Connell and, and Cousins, but or O'Connell and Zimmer, but it's also O'Connell's relationship with Cousins. I also think he embraced the perfectionist that Cousins is, right? Like I think he 
went through the tape with someone who who is kind of tormented by the mistakes he makes, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there was actually this human side. And I think the other thing is O'Connell, even in wins and even here at this loss that, um, you know, where you could blame Cousins for checking down as we should, he was like, I could have run a better play, right? He always pointed the finger at himself and then Cousins did that and other players did that. And you're right, like Cousins did give us a window into who he is. He didn't wear his emotions on his like Hawkinson looked distraught. Like I actually kind of felt mm-hmm. bad for him. He, you know, because he's like, dude, I just joined this team and these guys are awesome, right? Um, mm-hmm. and like, um, you know, you could see it with Jefferson at times, you can see it with some of these other players a little more visceral, like like Harrison Smith. He was talking kind of in hushed tones and he just was very different than kind of the guy he usually is. Um mm-hmm. but you could tell this really bug cousins. Like he I think he thought he had something. I think he was happy with the situation. I think he could see how he enabled Justin Jefferson. I think we have to give him some credit for that. Um, I think to his credit too, Cousins doesn't really hold a grudge. Like he basically wrote it out with Jalen uh, Rager rather until Rager just could not play anymore, right? As a receiver, he, he yeah. could have said, I'm never going to throw to you or Smith ever again because we had a first down on a play that you were wide open. I think it was like a second down short pass. Instead, yep. he finds him in the end zone and he scores on this one. Like, he gets Osborne involved. And like I said, for as much as like I'm kind of on the fence with Cousins or I just I kind of see a limit to who he is, we have to look at his merits. And I think one of them is he's kind of grown in some ways as a person, which is funny to say, but a guy who is his age. Um, but also like he has – I do believe he loved this team and it came through in what he said, but also how he distributed the ball and, and, and kind of you know how he reacted to this loss. So um, – yeah, I think that was a really fascinating kind of window into Cousins. And I think you can both be this tortured perfectionist who thinks through analytically and also someone to be like, yeah, this sucks. Like Alexander Madison might not be on this team anymore and Bradbury and I miss those guys. You know, and I think he's he's both. Yes. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Obviously a lot to talk about as far as like where the Vikings go from here. Um, we'll get into that later. When we come back, it's probably what everyone wants to kind of gripe about. The defense, <laughs> it was terrible. Um changes need to be made just to be perfectly frank um and and it's why the vikings lost today welcome back to inside purple and gold i'm dane mizutani alongside tom schreier we're recording late as hell sunday night viking season's over yes they allowed 31 points to the giants they allowed 31 points to daniel jones and I'm not going to take like pot shots at Daniel Jones because if we've talked about how Kirk Cousins has taken steps forward yeah, this season, yeah. Daniel Jones has taken gigantic leaps forward this season. Um, he is a good quarterback in the league. Mm-hmm. That being said, the Vikings defense made it easy on him today. Um, Ed Donatello, it's been a problem all year. Mm-hmm. Um, not Almost not knowing when to send pressure. And then yeah. it's either not sending pressure or not knowing when to send pressure that, that kind of reared its ugly head a handful of times this season. Um, and especially tonight in, in you know, in, in the wild card game, uh, but just watching the way in the ease with which Daniel Jones moved down the field, Saquon Barkley, um, you know, moved down the field guys like Isaiah Hodgins. Yeah. Arius Slayton. Richie James, like those are the guys that are beating you. Like that's just unacceptable from from a defense. Um, Daniel mm-hmm. Jones threw for three hundred and one yards, rushed for seventy eight more. Saquon ran for fifty three, two touchdowns, and and frankly, probably could have had more if Daniel Jones wasn't just so effective on the ground. Um, Daniel Jones had seventeen carries today. Um, and, and to Tom's point earlier in the show, it was 
Brian Dable, Mike Kafka finding something that worked and going back to that well over and over and over again until mm-hmm. Ed Donatel proved he could stop it. Um, and he couldn't. And look, it, it's part personnel. It's not just the scheme. Like a lot of these players on the Vikings defense just got old this year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There was one play in particular, and it, it, it's not fair to just kind of pin this play and, and say like, this is a microcosm of the season, but it sure felt like it to me. Uh, Matthew Breda takes a jet sweep. Daniel Hunter has him lined up, gets hands on him, can't chase him down. Mm-hmm. And then in that same moment, Harrison Smith gets hands on Matt Breda, can't chase him down. Mm-hmm. And then Eric Hendricks finishes off the tackle and Matt Breda gets the touch or gets, gets the first down. Yeah. So it's like those three players at every level of the defense did not make a big play. Then it could not step up when, when, when the Vikings needed them. Uh, it just shows like the days of this defense being number one in the league. And you know, the glory days of Mike Zimmer, like, and, and how mm-hmm. dear this defense used to be like, obviously that's done. Obviously a Donatel scheme, left a lot to be desired this season, but man, they also maybe just got old and in and, and this personnel, it, it, it's, it's a personnel issue. I think almost as much as it is a scheme issue. Yeah. So, I mean, some of it is you're going, we talk about how Connell kind of benefits from being the anti-Zimmer, right? Um, yeah, I do yeah. think Donatel, we, you know, we have seen a great defense here, right? And uh, of course yes. you have to go a little ways back, right? I mean, like it wasn't great for the last couple of years, but um, you're going from the Zimmer almost perfection in 17, good enough in 19, um, to like, hey, Mike White looks pretty good. Mac Jones looked pretty good against this. Daniel Jones did the first time and in the playoffs. Um, you know, you think of the teams that like tore him up. And um, you mentioned a lot of these older players, like Patrick Peterson hasn't been around as much, but, you know, as much as I hesitate to uh, call him washed or say he's, you know, like he's slowing down because the Cardinals made that mistake or whatever. I mean, we saw that right. In certain games, I think of the, when he was playing against Amon Ross on Brown and like, he just didn't know what to mm-hmm. do with a guy that good. So um, I think some of this, I think we have to be like particular about how we break down the defense because setting aside the obvious thing, it's just not good enough. These gash plays that showed up in this game, another demon, we saw him a whole bunch in the, um, in, yeah. in the regular season, but um, they do not have the right guys. I mean, like, you know, one of the things we're going to have to learn about Kwesi, um, the GM, is how does he draft defensive players? Because he's going to have to bring in, how do you get younger players that fit your scheme? You draft them, right? And, like, can he do that um, readily um, with an offense that looks pretty ready to go with with a fan base that now has expectations coming off a 13-win season? Um, and I think the other thing is just at what point, you know, do you say, Hey, thanks to, uh, some of these guys, like obviously Kendricks is beloved. How would you not knowing his personality, how much he loves football, what he did in his prime, um, and what he's still capable of doing at times. How do you not love a player like that? I I'm inclined to believe Harrison Smith just didn't benefit from being in this system. Like I think he was just used wrong. Um, but we have to acknowledge how old he is. I think he's the second oldest safety and we'll see next year if that's still the case. He may be the oldest guy. It's you got to love Patrick Peterson, how vindictive he was against this Arizona Cardinals team. No one likes yep. who's going to be dismantled. Um, but where he's at with his age and how hard the cornerback position is as you get into your 30s. Um, and you can go down the line, even like Jordan Hicks was at times did fine as kind of a plug in or whatever. And like um, a lot of it is, can you draft the guys into this scheme? Because if Donatello, and I'm sure we can talk, we can have the Donatello talk in a second here, but like if Donatello is gone 
it doesn't change the fact that like, I don't think you can just go change this again in the off season. Like, I think it's going to have to be some version of the big Fangio scheme. There's a lot of guys that can coach that. Right. But like, then you need the horses too. So I do think this is a combination of like Dantel probably being a little too conservative and not knowing when to blitz. And I think it's also maybe he's being conservative and not blitzing because he doesn't have the guys to do so. So, you know, we'll see what happens with Hunter. We'll see Zadarius Smith who fell in love with him and he looked pretty banged up. I don't know if this is injury related or he's just slowing down or a combination of the two. Um, there's a lot of guys on this defense who didn't live up to expectations. And the team has to honestly assess how much is it an individual player in this spot and how much is it the player was put in the wrong spot because of the scheme. And that's, you know, whether the defense is any good next year will be how they evaluate that. For sure. I, I think you, you do make a good point about, you know, you have to kind of look yourselves in the mirror as, you know, the front office of the Vikings and say, are these older players part mm-hmm. of our future? Um, I, I do think Ed Donatel to a degree became a scapegoat this year. Mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm you're probably onto something when like the guy's been around the game of football for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he understands what works and what doesn't. And maybe he isn't calling these blitzes because he knows that the corners on the outside can't cover for that long or, you know, can't stick with their man. Maybe he understands that like sending the blitz, sending Eric Hendricks on a blitz is not that effective anymore mm-hmm. because he's not as, as fleet of foot as he used to be. Like there are probably wrinkles you know, layers, I should say, to to these decisions that, that Ed Donatel made on a continuous weekly, you know, monthly basis mm-hmm. um, within games. Uh, but I, I do think after, you know, I, had, I have the stats right here. After you give up as many yards as you did to the, the New York Giants. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in a must-win game, obviously, it's the playoffs. But when, when you allow the Giants to go for 431 on you at home with Daniel Jones at, 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 at the helm and, and that receiving core I talked about, Isaiah Hodgins, who was picked off of waivers in November. Yeah, yeah. Like when, when all of that happens, um, I think you look at that and then you say like there needs to be a tangible change at, at this point. Um, yeah. And, 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 I, and I, you know, it, maybe it's not all his fault, but I do think that there comes a point in time where you just have to move on from, you know, and rinse kind of the sour taste out of your mouth from, from what was not a very good uh, defense this season. Yeah. I mean, I think some of it's right. The old line that you can't fire all the players. So you just fire the coach. Um, yep. It's yep. if you're a coach. Uh, I think this is why I think Wes Phillips, so his dad and his, his grandpa were coaches. They were like, yeah, coaching is a great profession. If you, if you just don't want to do anything else or some, some line like yeah. that, like, you, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, but cause, cause of stuff like this and you, you know, you take the blame sometimes when you don't deserve to. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I just, I mean, you're right in terms of like just an unacceptability of like who, who you're giving up these yards to and, and kind of like the fact that we kept seeing the same thing. It felt like over and over again. Um, and it just, I'm not convinced these guys are as washed, right? It, it, maybe look individually and you'll, you'll see certain guys. They'll just move on from in the off season. But I think some of these veterans will be back, right? Coaches yeah. love veteran players. Uh, my thought on Donatel specifically is don't make a lateral move because what you're going to do then is you're just going to create the opposite of problem you had with Zimmer, right? Zimmer, think of how pumped people were with North Turner. Ah, he's done being a head coach. He's this old veteran like, you know, he, offensive genius, whatever, they have a difference in opinion and it just sets off this like 
crazy revolving door of offensive coordinators, right? Under Zimmer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, you know, Connell, in some ways, we're going to have to judge him. We judge him on what he knows, how he implements the McVeigh scheme, how he relates to the players, what he does to nor- enable the quarterback. We also have to judge him on what he doesn't know, which is defense. If Staley's gone, let's say, right? If, if the Chargers go, man, we got Justin Herbert. We got to get this guy in the playoffs and winning games. You can't have a comeback loss to mm-hmm. the Jaguars, right? That's maybe a home run higher. I mean, it's it's a little different. Like you think of the age dynamics. It did seem like O'Connell liked having a veteran coach on his staff. Mm-hmm. That is different. But you could kind of envision this staff, right, with him with Wes Phillips, who he knew before, him with Staley, who's kind of like of the O'Connell McVay mold, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, to be fair, in terms of relating to the players, if you're moving to a younger defense, it probably makes some sense to go to with a younger coach, right? I mean, I think I think the veterans love Zimmer. I think the veterans love Donatel. I don't know about the – I guess I have no proof that the younger players do, but, like, I do think that kind of matters. And I would – aim for a home run higher here. Otherwise, I mean, I guess you go into the offseason with probably like Donatello as the incumbent and probably someone on the staff you'd trust to take over if it just blows up early. Um, but um, I think it's why we're being particular here. I understand the issues with Donatello. I'm not fully sold for obvious reasons on him. I don't think it's that simple as fire him and the defense works. Exactly. And I think that's an important thing to kind of once the dust settles on this loss and once people's frustration kind of turns into just kind of apathy, as it usually does <laughs> with this team, I think you can look at it with more of like a pragmatic approach of like, yeah. look, this defense had flaws. The flaws were beyond just Ed Donatel. So there's going to need to be a lot of changes to come this off season. We will get into all that um, over the course of the off season. We'll still record here and there try and be at least somewhat of a presence, um, in, you know, in the Viking space throughout the off season. Tom, I guess I'll leave with this. Like <laughs> I have some diehard Vikings fans that are friends and yeah. I've texted the, the group chats have been booming that, you know, in, in the aftermath of this loss, people are upset. I get it, but I don't think people are that like devastated by this loss. Because I think at the end of the day, it was pretty clear. Like this team mm-hmm. cannot win the Super Bowl. It is yeah. not like yeah. 98 and 09. It's not when you had even even the miracle year. Um, as mm-hmm. uh, you know, I get it. Like they got crushed by Philly, so they didn't. They obviously were not of the caliber to win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. But there were all three of those that I brought to mind: the Randy Moss teams, obviously the Adrian Peterson team, and the Case Keenum team. Yeah those teams felt like this could, they could do it. They, they could, they mm-hmm. could win the Super Bowl. Watching this team play today. It did not feel like that. It felt like if you mm-hmm. win today, it's a nice feather in the cap. It's a very nice step forward in, in the first year under Kevin O'Connell. And you earn the right to just get absolutely railroaded by the San Francisco 49ers next week yep. on the road. So that's kind of where I'm at this season. It was a, objectively a successful season for what I think expectations were. Um, if you can think back obviously to two months ago and when I was making fun of you for calling this a 13 win team, yeah, yeah, they are, um, they were, uh, there's a lot of positives to come out of this season. It might be hard to see right now um, in the aftermath of such a, you know, a 
upsetting, frustrating way to kind of end the season, disappointing way to end the season. Um, but this team wasn't winning the Super Bowl, um, and I think that was pretty clear. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the the question is how do you build on the foundation? Because I think mm-hmm. they're like Pythagorean record was like eight and nine. I, I don't think yeah. this was an eight and nine team. Um, that you know we you have to acknowledge how bad some of these uh, losses were, but the bad losses did like warp the stats. Like like the fact that they bounced back every time, right? Lost to Dallas, beat New England. Um, I mean, they snuck by Detroit after losing in Philadelphia, but like. Um, I don't think the Pythagorean thing is perfect, but like, if we treat this like a 10 win team, we go, okay, the foundation is you're going to battle two other teams for the, for the division. Right. I think Detroit's Mm -hmm. legit. I think Detroit's going to get good. Here's the other thing about Detroit. They have a similar problem. They got to fix their defense. Um, and, and with look at green Bay, I mean, people, cause we have uh, zone coverage. We we cover Packers and Vikings the Packers writers we have and the people that read the site want to burn down Joe Barry's house. Like, like we literally yep. actually have to tell them <laughs> stay away from Joe Barry's place of residence. But I think there's a reason why Matt LaFleur, a perfectly brilliant coach who, by the way, very familiar with 13 win records, right. Um, is sticking with his guy there. There is something to be said about continuity. There is like defense has changed as offense has in the NFL um, but it's, I think it's going to be really interesting to see three teams on different trajectories, given where Rodgers is at his career, given the uncertainties that Detroit has, including, although Goff's been better, Goff and just like where their defense is at. The Vikings enter next season in the mix. They are not the front runners in the NFC North, in my mind, but that is a foundation to build off of. And now it's an arms race. How quickly do you get the quarterback you need or Cousins to be where you're at? How quickly do you fix the defense? How quickly do you assure that you have weapons around Justin Jefferson? Because there are games he's going to be taken away, although he has not reached his prime, and maybe in his prime he literally won't be able to, but I guess that's to be seen. The point is they're going to enter an arms race, and this offseason is going to be so crucial for where they kind of place in this division, and ultimately could you compete with the Niners, the Eagles, the Cowboys, teams like that. And then we have to remember on top of that, because we're talking about how they really couldn't compete with like the top teams, Mm -hmm. nfc wasn't that good you know what i mean and so like they have a task ahead of them but this is a foundation it's unfortunate it ends with a playoff loss i think that's the only thing that really matters here i think we'd feel a little different if they won a playoff game but um they have a foundation and you know what these guys are vindictive like professional athletes just are and if they come out upset the ones who are back next year that they got beat by the giants at home more power to them. Sometimes they need something bad to happen, right? A loss like this in order to come back with a full head of steam. So um, this is on a lot of people. It's not just on a tell. Like O'Connell can improve play calling. Um, Kwesi could draft better defensive players. Like, um, you know, whatever. I mean, you can go down the list unless you're like Justin Jefferson or TJ Hawkinson, although TJ Hawkinson had some drops on third down. But unless you're guys like that, you got to look at yourself, right? And like, how do I jump into this arms race, help this team out. Because I do think all of a sudden the North is going to get interesting with, with uh, Detroit, Green Bay, and Minnesota. For sure. Well, that's all we got. It's late Sunday night. Me and Tom both going to get out of here. Um, what a season it was as we kind of led the season, led the show off. Like it's weird to say it's over, uh, but it is, man. We'll be watching playoffs kind of with nothing to write about from a Vikings perspective moving forward. <laughs> We will be in touch, though. Um, it, it's been really fun kind of talking about the Vikings you know, three times a week. Um, it's, it's been a fun season to cover. It's been a fun season to kind of break down. And we really appreciate you guys listening. 
Um, I'll leave it there. For Tom Schreier, I'm Dane Mizutani. We are signing off from U.S. Bank Stadium. We will talk to you later. Twenty Four Hundred Sports is an Odyssey company. 